in the final sermon in our Navigate series. Everybody say, aww. It's the final sermon. We've been going through the sermon series. How do we navigate through the myriad of challenges that face us as humans, but especially as followers of Jesus? Last week, we talked about navigating the afterlife. What's up with like eternity and heaven and hell and wrath and judgment and, and God and love and like, is this stuff, what's real? What does the Bible actually say? Pastor John, can you just tell me? I already did. It was last week. And if you missed it, check it out on our YouTube or our podcast. This week, I want to talk about something that feels deeply significant and wildly mystical all at the same time. This week, I want to talk about navigating God's will. Turn to your neighbor and say, what is God's will? What is God's will? You ever wonder that? What is God's will? We're gonna be in Romans chapter 12. By the way, Breakthrough Weekend, we are doing right here in South Florida. It's an incredible weekend. If you've been through it, make some noise. If you think it's a valuable investment in your spiritual and emotional life, the deadline to sign up is today. So if you would like to go, sign up. Today, there we go. All right, Romans 12. I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. This is a great, uh, I, would, I would say more of a transliteration. It helps flesh out some of the nuances of the ancient languages, and I like it to read Romans 12. This is what it says. Beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercies be? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices and to live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. He goes on, Paul does, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. That sound amazing to anybody else as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Let's pray. Jesus, help us do that. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. You can find your seats. Guyana, give him a high five, a fist bump. Tell him, let's go. You ever had a hard time discerning God's will? Anybody here like to say that you're a mere mortal? Maybe you don't float out of bed in the morning. You're like, yeah, it's kind of challenging. It's a bit tricky. It's somewhat mystifying. Like, how do you discern God's will? Now, to be fair, there's, there, there's lots that the Bible is clear about. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, and, and we're called to love one another. And obviously, when it comes to sports teams, you should not ever cheer for the New England Patriots. There are some things, can I get an amen? There are some things, even the Jets and Dolphins fans, we could all agree on that one, right? There are some things that the Bible is clear about, but there's a lot. Well, it's, there's a lot that's kind of open to interpretation. It seems like there is so much in the Bible that's clear, but clear that there are a lot of areas that are somewhat gray and seem sort of a mystery. Things like, what should I be doing about retirement? Or how should we be spending this vacation? Or I'm about to buy a car, Pastor John. How, how much should I spend? What should my budget be? Or I've been dating this guy and I, I like him. I, he's, I like him, but I think he's about to propose and I don't know if I like him like that much. Like, do I like him enough to like put a ring on it? Death do us part like him? I don't know. How do 
God know, Pastor John, what God's will is? I have no idea. But let me tell you. I have no idea, but... But let me tell you, it's this interesting conundrum in regard to spirituality. What I mean by this is that I can't tell you the end destination of God's will for your life. Each one of you are beautifully unique masterpieces crafted by God with good works that he prepared in advance. I can't tell you the ending destination, but I can help you understand the process that you need to use to discern what is God's will. See, we struggle in life to navigate when we don't know what God's will is. If I knew what God's will was, if I knew what God wanted me to do, man, I could be bold and have passion and run after it. But so often I'm like, I hope this is God. Got an opportunity for a promotion. Why would that not be God? And then sometimes we move, we're like, that was the devil. Like that was not clearly not God. Like, how do I know? If it was God, man, I'd be all about it. But how do I know? Turn to a neighbor and say, consider the path. Consider the path. When it comes to discerning God's will, you learn to discern God's will like you learn to ride a bicycle. You hop on the thing, look awkward and goofy at first, fall a few times, but eventually you figure it out and you need to get on the path, the path to clarity on God's will. Point number one, there's three stopping points I think we'll find out along the way. The first one is this, God, the path to discerning God's will. Is that Keandra? Hey, Keandra, it's good to see you. The path to discerning God's will starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. Jump into Romans 12. This is how Paul begins his diatribe. He says, beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercies be? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifice. To be his sacred living sacrifice. Sacrifice. If you're grappling with understanding, God, what, what is your will? What is your path? What is your plan? What is it that you want me to do? It begins right here with the heart. My, my father, Rabbi Neil, who has since passed, would always say, with God, it's all about the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, David says, but the Lord looks at the finish it with me. Heart. With God, he's always looking at the heart. I mean, think about it for a moment. Ask yourself this question. Does your heart burn? Not like heartburn, but does your heart burn with passion and love for God in light of his mercies? Paul says, beloved, in light of God's mercies, in light of his grace, in light of his goodness, in light of his redemptive power that you've seen at work, in light of the fact that God did not give you what you deserve, thank the Lord, can I get an amen, but he gave you what you didn't deserve, grace, in light of his mercies, burn, living sacrifice, passion, zeal, fervor. The path to understanding God's will does not start with doing the right stuff. It starts with having the right heart. In light of God's mercies, burn. It starts with love. Revelation 2, there are these different depictions of different churches, and they're both, Bible scholars believe, probably literal places, but they're also represent, representative of people groups and can be contextualized to a modern era. In Revelation 2, something that I think is apropos for our moment as 
modern people, says, I know your deeds. This is the angel speaking to one of the churches. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false, and you've persevered. You've endured hardship for my name. You haven't grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Very interesting. Basically, the message to this church is, man, y'all are doing all the stuff. Y'all have, you're pointing out false prophets. You're calling out the televangelists who are speaking some whack stuff. You've got, you've got right. You've got all sorts of right actions, but you know what? You don't have a right heart. He says, you're doing a lot of great stuff, but you've, there's one thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. And look what, he, look what he tells them to do. He says, consider then how far you've fallen. Repent, and what does it say? Do the things you did at first. Anybody here in love? Married people, this is your chance. Raise your hand. There we go. Okay, good, good, good. Try to help y'all out here. You remember the things you first did when you fell in love? This isn't even in my notes, but I remember, man, I, I met this incredible Puerto Rican goddess from above named Nancy Melendez, and I was in a youth leader meeting, and there was this new, I had just gotten back from out of town, and they were like, oh, there's this new youth leader, and I walked in, and I was like, whew, I, I about got slain in the spirit. I think I levitated for a second. I was like, who is this? She's wearing yellow. I still love her in yellow. You were not wearing yellow? That's how I remember it in my mind. She was glow. It was glory. That's what it was, Linda. Thank you. She was glowing with the radiance of God. It seemed golden and yellow. Thank you, Linda. See, preacher's best friend right there. She was wearing something. I don't know. She looked fine. And I did everything possible to get in her presence to the extent that I told my roommate who was like, hey man, I don't have internet at the house. I'm like, who doesn't have internet at the house in a modern era? I told my friend who didn't have internet to not get internet so I could go over Nancy Melendez's place who didn't live that far and say, hey, hey, I'm sorry, they don't have internet at my house. You know Conroy is. Can I come and work out of your place for weeks? Why, because I was in love. And then you move along in the trajectory of relationship and there's something about deep love and mature love, but, but it's so easy to lose the fire. It's so easy to lose the sparks. And it doesn't just happen with people. According to the scriptures, it happens with, with God. He says, listen, you, you, you've got good intentions. You've even got some good activities, but, but here's what God really wants. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He doesn't beat them up. He says, it's real easy. Remember the stuff you used to do? I mean, think about it right now. Close your eyes for a moment. Do you remember what it used to be like when you first met Jesus? What were the things you used to do? I bet I could guess some of them. I bet nobody had to tell you to read your Bible and pray. I bet people had to claw you off of your Bible. They're like, man, what are you doing? I bet people were like, man, you love God so much. Are you in a cult? What's happening here? They couldn't understand how you had gotten so love struck by this deity from above. It's the things you used to do at first. He says, repent and go back and do the things you used to do at first. The danger of doing the stuff without a heart full of love 
is you slip into religion and Phariseeism. The Pharisees did all the stuff. They did extra stuff. But God didn't have their hearts. It wasn't about love. It was about them. It was about status. It was about approval. It was about being dignified in the eyes of others. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm looking for. I want your hearts. It's a relationship marked by love. If you're grappling with God's will, start with the heart. Does my heart burn with passion and love for God in light of his mercies? Is it first love? Is it burning? Is it passion? Is it desire? In light of his mercies, awe and wonder. And if you're like, I don't know, I don't think so. That's okay. Just repent. Change your mind. Change your actions. Do the things you used to do at first. It starts with a heart. If you want to understand the path to understanding God's will, it starts with a heart, point number two, then it moves to your ways. Everybody say ways. Not with the Z, directions, with a Y. It moves to your ways. If you're grappling with God's will, start with the heart and then ask the question, does your way of life match up to the love for God in your heart? The order matters, it starts with love, but does the way of your actual real life match up to the love that you say you have in your heart? Or to say it another way, are you burning just in your heart internally or are you also clearly burning in the way you live externally? If you never told anybody you followed Jesus, would they know? It's a great self-reflection question. You're like, I don't know. Often in religion, it's just about sort of the heart in theory. It's kind of like, yeah, God, we, we sing these songs and we're like, God, you really are. I know you are a healer. You're like, that sounds great. You really are. I know you are a provider. Like, I love that one. Amen. Give me. And we sing these things and then it comes down to like Jesus actually saying things that you don't want to do and, and then it gets real. Say, God, I like your ideas. I, I like the theory. And then in real life where you got a, a, a sort of like vice grip on something and God's trying to pry it out of your hands because it's killing you and he loves you. And you're like, God, I like this in theory, but I don't know if I want to actually do this in real life. We often are guilty of being very compartmentalized in our spirituality. I am guilty of being very compartmentalized in my spirituality. We say, God, I love your ways. I'm gonna do what I want though. God, I love your thoughts. They sound so great on paper, but I'm gonna do whatever I want. Often we want the will of God without the lordship of God. And it does not work. It doesn't work that way. If it's his will, it's his way. Our children love snacks. I love snacks, I mean, heck. And uh, they, are, they are perpetually asking to my wife's utter chagrin, around, in between, at every moment, dad can I have a snack? And uh, my wife is much better orchestrated than I am at snack allocation. Um, and so often, uh, but, but generally I take cues from, from the queen bee. And, uh, and so what I like to do is I have learned that if my children are watching my distribution of said snack, it goes horribly. 
because they don't understand. They're like, Dad, no, you're giving that to Lucy. And I'm like in the process of getting snacks ready. My six-year-old, my three-year-old, like, no, I want it. And, and they start freaking out. So I just tell them, I'm like, kids, go wait on the couch, and I'm going to bring the snack to you. Why? Because I'm a wise father. Because I realize that in their limited six and three-year-old thinking, they do not understand the process that it takes to get the snack to their lives. I have to bring it out and I have to start with one before I get to the other, but I'm gonna get to both. And I have to dole out one portion before I go to the other portion. And I've got an overarching plan for the appropriate distribution of snacks to both of my children that I love deeply. And if they could just give me a second to chill on the couch. Oh, this feels good to get it out. Everybody would have all of the snack that they need. What's my point? If you start with the heart, then you have trust to wait on his ways. As we've moved along, the, hey kids, just go wait for me on the couch has gotten easier and easier because they've learned dad always comes through and each one of us get a snack and everything does turn out. And so we can trust dad and go wait on the couch. Even though we can't see him working in the kitchen, we know that he's got something in mind. And so in the midst of the waiting, because our hearts are full of love and trust and relationship, we're gonna follow his ways, even though they are not their ways. But my ways are better. You get what I'm saying? You guys tracking with me here? It starts with the heart. It's got to start with the heart. If you just start with the ways, you get disgruntled, frustrated, anxious, religious, judgmental, nasty. But if you start with the heart and you build relationship and love and trust, then you can wait and follow his ways because you know that he's got your best intentions in mind. Almost 20 years in of following Jesus, and this has been my consistent experience. God tends to reveal his unknown will when you are being faithful with his clearly revealed known will. I'm gonna say that again, because this is important. God tends to reveal his unknown will. Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to live? The individually specified components of God's mysterious will when we are being faithful in following his known will. Not perfect, it's grace, thank God for it. By grace we have been saved, but faithful, increasingly obedient in the trajectory of our overarching story. We need new hearts and we need new ways. And in the absence of both, we will continue to go in painfully frustrating circles. This is one of the dangers Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, to the ways of this world. Don't get stuck in the manner of thinking of this world. Why? Anybody have a friend, let's just say a friend, that is lactose intolerant but just won't own it? Anybody got that friend? Maybe you are that friend. Here's your, here's your word, right? And they just like, every time they eat lactose or anything dairy-oriented, it is like a torture device for anyone around them. You're like, God bless if you're their roommate. You're just like, okay, I'm just gonna leave the house and I think I'm gonna use the bathroom at 7-Eleven for the next week. Cause it's gonna come, like, it's just, it just goes bad. And you've got that friend, you're like, why? Why don't you just accept that the lactose way is not the way for you or us? Paul says, you are patterns and ways of this world intolerant. 
it's not gonna go good for you on the inside and it's not gonna go good for anybody else around you on the outside. Don't be conformed to it. We have this crazy thing where we don't wanna own the reality of our lives. Paul says, just, just, just realize you weren't made to be conformed. You are ways and patterns of this world intolerant. I'm a, I remember Pastor Lastinger, he was the pastor before Pastor Mike in Gainesville, who's my mentor and pastor. And he would always say this line, and I thought it was so cheesy, and now I'm gonna say it because you know you're getting old. He was like, you know, I do whatever I like because God changed my liker. I do whatever I like. The idea was my, my ways are increasingly aligned to his ways because he's changed my heart. He's changed my heart. He's changed my liker. Consider the path, the path to clarity on God's will. It starts with the heart. It eventually transforms our ways, and then it moves, point number three, to our mind, to our mind. Romans 12, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be internally transformed. Other versions see, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. If you are grappling with understanding God's will, you start with the what? There we go, all three of y'all, awesome. Start with the heart, then it moves to the ways, and lastly, when your heart and your ways are in line with God, his mind and his will become clear as well. Anybody here ever learned or trying to learn another language? Anybody been through that? Everyone is like, I grew up with two languages. It's called Spanglish. I live in South Florida, right? Or Kringlish if you're Haitian Creole, right? But, but the process of language acquisition is actually exceptionally helpful to use as an operating metaphor for understanding God's will. Um, I had a desire uh, to learn Spanish, and so I quickly realized after getting A's all through high school and being able to say a whopping donde esta el baño and me llamo Juan, that I was not going to learn it here in the good old U.S. of A., and I actually had to get immersed in a culture that spoke the language if I was going to learn the language. And so I lived in Costa Rica with a host family who spoke no English, and I'm an extrovert, and I'm like, I'm either going to talk or die. That's kind of how that went down. And so it forced me in the cultural context to learn learn Spanish, but it was not without pain and challenge. I remember one day, um, the, the host mom was making uh, lunch, and she's like, almuerzo? Do you want, you know, do you want lunch? Is that lunch? Yeah, and she's like, do you want lunch? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And she said something, blah, 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 blah. I was still picking up, blah, 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 lengua. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, how's my language learning going? I was like, great, because lengua, you know, it's like, what language? But that's not what she meant. So she's like, blah, 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 lengua. I was like, oh, está bien, perfecto, gracias, mami, you know, whatever. So she serves me up, you know, rice and beans and um, this very curious looking meat. Now, I'm, I'm a meat guy. I'm like, if it's not meat, it's not a meal. So I was like, I'm, I'm about it. You know, I don't really know what it is, but I'm about the mystery meat. Let's do it. And, um, and it had these little strange circular objects on it. And I didn't quite understand what they were until I bit in and I began to chew uh, and chew and chew and chew and chew. And I was like, is this gum? And it was not gum, but it is the thing that, that, that gets utilized with gum. It was lengua, which means tongue. Yeah, apparently it's awesome. I maybe would have been a little bit more prepared for it. I was not ready for the cow tongue that I was eating, and it was quite the learning experience for your boy. What's my point? 
Learning to discern God's will is like learning to speak another language. You first have to learn words. If I would have understood that lengua both meant idioma, language, a slang, but it also meant tongue, if I would have been a little bit more fluent in understanding the words of the language, I probably could have realized what, was I, what I was about to get for lunch and I could have got the chicken instead, which would have been glorious. It starts with words, then you learn phrases, then maybe sentences, then you have a few conversations, you eventually start thinking in the language, and then you become fluent. That's a process, right? It's words, it's a few words, it's phrases, it's sentences, and then it's fluency. And often I think spiritually, we want to become fluent in a language called God's will, and we haven't even learned the words yet. Do you understand the dilemma? Is, there's no way you're gonna be able to speak with fluency in a language that you have not even dedicated appropriate time to learn the words. It's part of the process. You gotta know the words if you're gonna be able to flow. You guys tracking with me? We gotta learn the words, the Bible, so I can be explicitly clear, if you would like to become fluent in God's will. By the way, the best way to gain fluency is immersion. That's how you gain fluency in a language. You saturate yourself in the midst of the language acquisition process. And if you would like to know God's will and heaven's thoughts, you immerse yourself in the ways, in the culture, and in the words of heaven. God, how would I know your will? Start with his words. That'll begin to clarify a lot just right there. This is the power, by the way, of daily Bible reading. And, and by the way, you don't just need the Bible daily, you need the Bible deeply. Meaning if you're like, check, I already do that, okay, keep taking it deep. Like, like water, we're a GLC, like water that goes into a plant, it's not just enough to water the soil, you need to get the soil, you need to get the water down to what? The roots. You need daily, deep, meditation in the words of God. And this is the beauty of microchurch, godly community, helping you to practice this new language so you can work towards fluency. Because if you're not intentionally immersing yourself in the words and the ways of heaven, you are actively being discipled by the patterns of this world. Those are the only two options. You're either gonna think like God or you're gonna think like the world. Those are the only two options. Like, I'm going to think like me. I, I know we all think that. John Don said, no man is an island unto himself. Like, I know we all think we're so individualistic that nobody influences me. Yes, they do. Every human is deeply influenced. God says it. He's always right. You're either going to be influenced by God's ways or the world's ways. Those are the two options. But you can choose what you immerse yourself in. You cannot choose the power of what moves you, but you can choose what you immerse yourself in. I think this movement back and forth of heart to ways to mind, that, that order is vital. It starts with burning and it moves to obedience. And finally, you begin to understand as you obey, oh, God's smart. He knows what he's doing. I should trust him more often. It really goes better. How many of you were like, I've learned it really goes better when I follow God's way? Anybody else besides me have a testimony? You're like, man, I thought I was really smart. And I'm like, I got this guy. No, no, you, just, you take a seat. I got, the, I got it from here. And then it blows up in your face. You're like, man, God's really smart. 
Here's the application point. What, what are we supposed to do as a result of hearing this, reading this, when it comes to God's will this morning? Three steps. Detox, refresh, discern. Detox, refresh, discern. Say it with me. Detox, refresh, discern. This goes back to what psychologists might call the law of exposure. The law of exposure basically says that whatever has the most exposure in your life, whatever you expose yourself to the most, whatever you're listening to and watching and observing and around, whatever you are around the most is ultimately what's gonna have the greatest influence on what you do and how you think. Let me ask us a question, how much exposure do you have, do I have, do we have to the ways and patterns of this world? How much exposure to TikTok and Instagram and social media? How much exposure to the Bible? How much exposure to worldly, maybe nice, kind friends' advice versus godly kingdom microchurch friends' advice? Some of this is as simple as, I don't know why I keep making these crazy decisions. Well, what's your exposure like? I know we all think like, nah, man, it's not gonna influence me. It does, it does, it does. It's the law of exposure, like the law of gravity. It's what it does. Whatever has the most exposure in your life will have the most influence, which means you cannot change the influence, but you can change the exposure. You can change the exposure. That is what is in your control, which means it is probably apropos this week for you to do an exposure assessment. It sounds weird saying that word so often, that you would do an assessment of the influences that are on your life. iPhone helps you out with that. I don't know what Android does. Y'all gotta figure that out. But iPhone will tell you, you spent this much time on this app and this much time on social media and this much time, you could literally, and this much time on the YouVersion Bible app. You're like, oh, there it is. And it's not a, a guilt trip condemnation, it's just like it demystifies. Why do I always? Well, it's the law of exposure. That's why. If you're struggling to see God or hear God or know his will, start by examining your exposure. To figure out God's will is gonna take discernment, but to be discerning, you're gonna to have to wean your mind off worldly ways and thinking and onto the ways and mind of God, which means God's will is available, but you're first gonna to have to do it and you won't be able to discern it with a clear mind until you detox. Until you appropriately shift your exposure. It's detox, it's refresh, and it's discerned. Let me break down what I mean by those words. By detox, it's detoxing from the patterns and ways of this world. One of the easiest ways to do that is to shift or limit your exposure. By refresh, this is being transformed. Don't just say, all right, I'm cutting out this voice or I'm cutting, or I'm cutting down or I'm scaling down the social media or this influence. It's not just removing, but it's adding the right things. I'm going to refresh by being transformed in the renewing of my mind, his words and his ways. And then the final step is actually where we often start. It's discerning. Once you've done these things, you can now begin to discern his will more clearly. You guys understand the process? This is the same thing that we do biologically when it comes to rehab and substance abuse. What Paul is letting us know is, hey, by the way, it's not just drugs and alcohol. Your mind gets toxic too. Detox, refresh, discern. By the way, this takes patience. 
One of the ways and patterns of this world in our modern context is we want everything immediately. Psalm 119 says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet. And what does it say? A light to my path. Now, here's how I think we think as modern people about that. Because we live in the age of Thomas Edison birthed electricity. We think your word is a flood lamp to my path. Light it all up, Jesus. Make it happen. Can't really see the, the picture. Lord, let there be light. Flood lamp. Y'all know they didn't have electricity back in the Bible times, right? What do they have? Candles, oil, lanterns, little lamps. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is important because it means that the biblical metaphor of clarifying the will of God that God promises to his followers, his sons and daughters that he loves deeply is this. He will put a little lamp that gives you enough light for the next step. God, what's your will for my life? Flood lamp, there it all is. I got the next three miles marked out. It's a 5K with Jesus and I got it all planned. Nope. What's your will for my life, God? Doop. Oh. What's your will for my life, God? Oh. God, what's your will for my life? Oh. Here's what I'm trying to get at. God has promised in his word that he will light your path, but he did not promise he'll light the whole thing. Biblically, the metaphor that God chose is progressive revelation followed by faithful obedience. God, what's your will? I, Pastor John, I feel so frustrated. God, I feel so lost. I, I don't know. Uh, God, what do you want me to do? Well, what's the next step? That's a great question to ask. God, what am I supposed to do with my career? What classes are you supposed to take right now? Maybe he'll tell, like that's an important decision, but the average college student changes their career path like five times when they're within school. Is that still accurate? Yeah. Thank you, Christina, administrator, advisor to the schools. God, what's your will? I, I, I can't tell you the five-year plan. I can't tell you the 10-year plan. Most businesses have thrown those things out the window, by the way, because life shifts so rapidly. God said, I, 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 can't, I cannot promise you with any level of certainty because it has definitely been my, not been my experience that God will give you the five or 10 year plan. You know what I can promise you with great certainty because it has been the case every single time, he will show you the next step. Why don't we pause for a moment right now and just close your eyes. And just in your heart, ask God, especially if you've been struggling with doubt, uncertainty, everything seems so foggy and cloudy and confusing, ask God right now, Lord, what is my next step? What's my next step? Maybe you've been hearing about microchurches and and maybe you had a really horrible experience with Christian community, and I'm not saying they were bad people, but they did horrible stuff. Well-intentioned, maybe even. Maybe it's time for you to take that step. Maybe you've given Jesus areas of lordship. 
but you've been withholding like Gollum with the ring, these sacred, my precious moments, and, and it's keeping you back from the life and life abundantly that Jesus has in store for you. I don't know what area it is. Maybe it's your time, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your sexuality, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's that thing God put on your heart to do and you just keep putting it off. Maybe it's that person God put on your heart to speak with and you just kept putting it off. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but Lord, by your spirit, make clear. What's the next step? You can open your eyes. The, the, the path to discerning God's will it begins with faithful obedience on what's clear with where he's placed you right now. And then it moves to what will be revealed in time. By the way, this is deeply hopeful because God wants you to know his will because it's his will. I was talking to some of the setup team before service. My dad, who was an incredibly wise man, he was literally a wise old rabbi, Literally, I'm from a Jewish background. And um, I'm not supposed to stand there because it's in the dark. Okay. I remembered Lisa. Got you. And my dad, one time, I, I was really, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high energy as a person. And one time I was just freaking out about a decision I needed to make. And they both were seeing my good options. And I was like, what do I do? And it was like, you know, it wasn't like smoke crack or love God. It was like more challenging than that. And I was like, what do I do? I'm not sure. Ah. And my dad, bless his heart, was like, son, what are you freaking out about? I'm like, I'm not, there's this good thing and there's that good thing and I've been praying about it and fasting about it. I'm not sure what God wants me to do. And, ah! Anybody else relate to that? Like, they both seem so good. What do I do? What do I do? And my dad was like, okay, pause, chill out, sit down. He says, son, wh what is it that you want to do? I was like, that, uh, God's will. He's like, okay, cool. What is it that God wants you to do? Like, I don't know, that's a problem. I just want him to tell me, like, give me a sign or something. I don't know. He's like, no, no, no. Zoom out bigger than your current moment. Like, big picture, what is it that God wants you to do? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, okay, clearly. You, you want to do God's will. God wants you to do God's will. Because it's his will. It's what he wants. He said, so if you want to do God's will, and I meant that, and I mean that. And God wants you to do his will. He's like, son, you're good. Like, you don't need to freak out and, and work yourself into some type A stress ball. Like, trust the Lord, lean on him, ask for progressive revelation, take that faithful step of obedience. And if you start going one direction and, and you went down the path a certain way and then he wants you to go another way, just stay actively in relationship and he'll let you know. And then you just make a U-turn, humble yourself or say, God, I learned what I was supposed to learn here and now I'm going there. He said, if you wanna learn God's will, follow God's will and God wants you to follow his will, you don't need to freak out. It's gonna be okay. It was so liberating for me. I hope it's liberating for you. There's so much hope here. It's active relationship. It's God, you got my heart. That's where it starts. Everything I have is yours. I love you. My whole life is yours. That's where it starts. And then because of that love, you say, God, anything you want me to do, I want to do it. It's not just my heart. You have my life. You have my ways. And then as you begin to move in relationship, he gets not just your heart and your ways, but your mind. You saturate yourself in his words. You start thinking with God and thinking like God. And then you live life with him. And just like any great relationship, God's not some sadistic dad who's trying to hide so you can't find him and then he slaps you on the wrist. 
He's a loving father who wants you to follow him even worse than you do, with even more passion than you have. I'm gonna close it here. Worship team will end in a final chorus. Imagine the peace we could live in if we were to know God's will. Like imagine that, what that, the peace you could walk in when you just knew, I'm walking in the will of God. Instead of reacting to the chaos and the pressures around us, if we lived life responding to the God within us. And it starts with faithfulness and the next steps that he has clearly revealed. I'm gonna land it here. I got stuck in Atlanta a couple weeks ago when Hurricane Ian was blowing through and uh, the pilot was like, I think we might try to fly through. And I was like, Lord have mercy. And they did not, which was probably very good. And I was stuck in Atlanta and I was there for a, a church planter coaching conference thing and I'm helping out with some of the other greenhouse churches. And, and so I was there and I was like, man, my, my family's here in South Florida and thank God the hurricane you know, wasn't bad here and we're continuing to help our, our brothers and sisters on the other coast. And, and I was just there, I'm like, man, I just wanna get home and then the flights, I thought I had a flight and then it got canceled again, I thought I had a flight and so I finally get a flight, I'm stuck there a whole extra day, almost lost my hotel room, it was a whole thing and if you've ever been stranded before, you know the frustration of that in travel and I finally get on an airplane, I'm on Spirit, which that's the wrong name, it is not full of the Spirit, I feel like it's a flight from hell. But anyways, that's another question and so I'm on Spirit and I'm like, Lord, just like let me keep the Spirit in me on Spirit and, um, and I sit down next to this dude and I've got like selective narcolepsy, like if you you put me on an airplane or in a car, mom, is this true? I just knock out. Like I could just like, boom, I'm sleeping. And so I had every intention to enjoy my stay in the spirit on spirit by being asleep. And I mean, clear as day, I sit down in my seat. I say, what's up to the dude next to me. I'm reaching for my AirPods and I feel God's like, do, do, do. And I just, I knew it. I'm supposed to talk to this guy. And I argued with God for like 37 seconds. Cause at this point I'm like, Lord, you got me. Like I, if I'll die for you, which I would, I will, I, I'm gonna live for you, obviously. And so I argued with God for 37 seconds. Like, God, can't you, I'm trying to make a nap. Can't you just leave me alone? He's like, no, I'm like, fair. I don't want you to actually, so let's do this. And I start talking to this guy and, and we start talking about, I'm just like, oh yeah, what, you know, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a truck driver. I'm like, oh, cool. What do you do? I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm a Jewish pastor at a Christian church. And he's like, talk to me about that. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, you know. And so we start explaining stuff. And somehow I end up talking about Nancy and I and, and our, first, our only home, our first home, the home we live in now, and how the whole miraculous way that it came through and it was totally God and it was amazing. And I get done with the story. I'm like, you know, bro, I don't even know why I'm telling you that story, but yeah, that's what happened. And he's like, I can't believe you're telling me that story. I'm like, yeah, yeah me neither. He's like, that just happened to us this week. And that's when you start knowing, right? I was like, huh, wow. And then the plane starts taking off and it's more turbulence than I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm like, bro, God bless you. And I took a nap, <laughs> no lie, put my AirPods in. I'm sleeping and I get woken up with a thought in my mind for this guy. So random. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm game, Jesus. I go back to sleep because the plane's still doing this, <laughs> trying to not reach for the barf bag. And we land, and I turn to him, and I was like, hey, bro, it was really great to meet you. I said, I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this, but you know, whatever. I said, I'm in a relationship with Jesus, and, 
And every now and then he'll give me like thoughts for people. And when I was sleeping, I, I, I got woken up and I felt like I had a thought for you. Can I, can I share it with you? And he's like, yeah, man, cool. It's all right, great. So I share it with him and it was totally on. It read, like it was God. It was one of these moments and, we're, and he's like, I can't believe you're saying that. Da, 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 you know, all these things have, you know, when God's doing stuff, you're just, you're in awe. You feel like this is crazy. Like I'm watching God do his thing and somehow I'm not so jacked up enough that I haven't screwed it up. Like this is awesome. And it's like what we're made for, right? You're like, this is life. This is awesome. And he's going and, he's, and he turns to me and he's like, so we exchanged numbers. He's watched church online a few times now. I don't know if you're watching bro, Wale, good to see you. And, and so we have this whole, encounter and um and we get done he's like hey man I don't know what you're gonna think about this but I wasn't supposed to be on this flight I said really he's like yeah I, I, I'm a truck driver I was not supposed to go home and something just told me I needed to get on this spirit flight and 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 get home and, and see my family before I go back out I was like well I wasn't supposed to be on this flight he said hey I, I don't know what you're gonna think but I feel like this meeting was divine Wale, I think you're right. It's what we're made for. It's the longing of every single human being to live with purpose, to live a life that matters, to live a life that's meaningful, to be able to invest yourself back into something where you can be a help to others and a blessing to this world. What is God's will for my life? I didn't know his will was that whole plane ride, but he gave me a step every time along the way and in imperfect obedience, you get to follow his lead and lives get touched and people get encouraged. And the God of the cosmos that often seems and feels so distant to so many, all of a sudden becomes tangible and near. And he wants to use you to do that. Why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray? Jesus, you're amazing and you're present and you're near and you're close. And Lord, I know we've got a, a bunch of smart people in this church. We've got a bunch of smart people in Guyana. Good plans, but Lord, we confess your plans are better. Your ways are higher. And Jesus, if you wrestled with this very topic and, and went back and forth and had to land on the God man, no, but not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I know it's a challenge for every single one of us, but Lord, right now, in this moment, in this space, we confess and remember that your plans are better, that your ways are higher, and that your will is what we were designed for. Lord, I know our culture wants to fly past all the steps to the end of the story. That is not the way your will often or almost never works. It's progressive revelation, starting with faithful obedience to what's clear as you light up each step on the path. And I pray for this faith family, this community that I love, that we love, Lord, that you would give us grace, that you would make the next step, even this week, that you would make the next step so abundantly clear and that you would then give us courage to follow your lead. Maybe you're here and you're struggling to, to know or discern God's will. 
in just a moment, I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come up. We would love to pray with you for clarity. Maybe you're here and you're struggling to trust or obey his will. And before you go, we'd love to pray with you for a renewed commitment. Maybe you're here and you would like to surrender. Maybe you're there watching online or in Guyana and you would like to surrender your will and, and say, God, not my will. I've done it my way. I've done it my steps. I've done it in my thoughts and it has not panned out at all like I thought. God, not my will. I surrender to your will. It's a chance for you to place your trust fully in Jesus.